What's up, everyone? Welcome again to another episode of Doc's Point of View Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Trey. And today, I had a conversation with Jacob. He explained to me his experience as a corpsman so far. He's been in the Navy for five or so years. He's a third class. And I think his story is pretty interesting and unique. He has only been with a greenside unit. He hasn't seen a blue side clinic or hospital, so that's pretty cool. Now, we get into some topics about patient care. We talked about some patient encounters that we have experienced and how that has played an effect on our psychology and fundamental skills. And I want to preface this interview because we get into uh, care of the of the deceased and the purpose of that is fully educational and to let maybe junior corpsmen or whoever know that these are the types of things that you may see or experience as a corpsman. And we want you to have some insight and learn something about it because it's very real and it's very important to have the right mindset and know how to cope with some traumatic patient experiences. You ever been walking through the Navy Exchange and wonder why all the Naval Pride and Heritage gear is horrifically ugly and you wouldn't actually wear it? Have you ever wanted some really cool gear and you just don't know where to go? Well, I got you, fam. Go to dgutsapparel.com immediately. Get yourself some Naval Pride and Heritage gear you'll actually wear in public. Uh, We're working on new designs all the time, open to ideas. We're trying to create a brand that uh, lets you display that pride but doesn't make you cringe. Uh, Also, if you're willing to and you're able to, please go to patreon.com slash dgutspodcast. Pick one of the five tiers and become a patron today. Let's get into it. All right. Good morning. First name, Jacob. Mm-hmm. How was your weekend? Oh, it was amazing. Didn't do anything except sit on the beach, so. I didn't. I actually, we went to the beach one day. Uh, it's kind of crazy how how much time off we get greenside. Oh, no, absolutely. Like, you know, we get a lot in four days, three days, comes and goes, but always sit on the beach whenever you can. So for the listeners, it was July 4th weekend. We were off from 12 o'clock on Friday until 12 o'clock on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of time. And a lot of things can go wrong in five days (laughs) off. Uh, But just like any other guest, give me a background of your career or uh, your time before the Navy or why you joined. Okay, yeah. Um, As stated, I am a third class petty officer here on the MLG side. Uh, I enlisted into the Navy um, right when I was in a uh, junior in high school, uh, I always kind of knew uh, I wanted to be in the military. I uh, wasn't extremely certain what branch though. Uh, that really didn't hit me until I got snatched up by the Navy at an old crusty chief who came and approached me. And I mean, that was that, uh, from there I went into Navy boot camp uh, in 2018, um, graduated and I went to A school or Corman A school around, uh, graduated around 2019, 2020. Uh, that definitely an experience, um, especially from, I went in there open-minded. I did not watch any like YouTube videos like some people do. Uh, I just 
complete blank slate went into there. That was definitely a trip. Um, physical exercise was obviously up to par, I guess, for especially for the time that I went through, obviously pre-COVID, so uh, everything was still good. Um, after A school, I uh, was PSI at my first duty station. Um, still not entirely sure what PSI means. All I know is that after I graduated uh, A school, went to my first command on Paris Island, and I was there for about two months uh, with weapons company and holding, just waiting to go to field med. I waited my two months, uh, went to field med. I went here in field med east. Beautiful experience. Loved it. Absolutely enjoyed it. Field med, when I went through, was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, instructors were up to par. Uh, physical exercise, PT, and the whole course was extremely rigorous, and it was it was truly amazing. You made some really good friends there. I'm sure you know from uh, your experiences. Um, had, had a blast. Probably a really, really good training. Uh, graduated from that and went back to Paris Island and did my two years there. Um, the only caveat to this, and any Greenside corpsman knows this, is if you do not pass through field med, they actually cut your orders and you get needs in the Navy to a, uh, a different unit or wherever you were. So if you were PSI at your first uh, at your duty station before you went there and uh, say you tried to buy a house or anything and you failed out of uh, field med, then they'd cut your orders and you'd get needs of the Navy and wherever else you could go to. So it was pretty hard. Uh, we had a couple people who failed out who were, you know, higher enlisted. I'd say like E5s that decided to, uh, not really decided, but, you know, they fell out of hikes, heat cased, and uh, it was like a hard transition for them because they had to resell their house that they had just bought and then move into another command. So definitely a, a rough time for those people. Um, but yeah, after that, I went to, back to Paris Island and I worked in RMR or Recruit Medical Readiness. Uh, I was there for about two years. Um, really good experience. Um, obviously, everybody knows on Paris Island, if you haven't been to them, but uh, the motto of Paris Island is we make Marines. And that used to be like our little motto inside our department was that we make Marines. Uh, RMR was where you uh, the recruits came to on their initial boot drop day. So as soon as they got to boot camp, They'd come to us and they'd get their initial blood draws and inoculations. We'd put them into the healthcare system. Um, and really, they couldn't continue training without going through all those steps, all the blood draws and the immunizations. So we, we like to say in our department that we made Marines. This is a little joke, but I mean, it usually uh, came true. Yeah. Um, from there, I PCS'd and came here to MLG side. Um, as soon as I got here uh, to the unit, we ended up uh, departing. Um, I was here for about two weeks before I got pulled for that. And I was actually on house hunting leave. Definitely a really interesting time. Uh, I was about five days in to my house hunting leave. And that's when I got the phone call. And then we were put on standby and was gone like two days after that. I heard the stories. That, so yeah. You, uh, after, after that TAD, what did you do at the command? Yeah, so um, after we got back to my unit and I was stagnant for about, I'd say about two to three months. Uh, and in those two to three months, I actually picked up uh, third class off the exam. Uh, this was one of the first exams that we took that had the standardized test score with, um, there's no test taking for the E3s to E4 at the time. Hold on, to clarify, you didn't take a test? Negative, no test. It was, it was one just, of the first mm -hmm. iterations of... E3 is not taking tests. Yes. Okay. Uh, I came in as an E1, 
So I had to wait my time plus some in order to um, pick up E4. And I actually, uh, going into that exam, as people in Navy should know now, as E3s, uh, you, it's basically uh, based off your eval. So whatever eval you get kind of sets the mood for what you're going to be um what score you're shooting for on the exam. Well, it's either your eval if you want to make it quick mm-hmm. or you wait out and stare at HYT yeah, and you pick fun. up. I'm, I'm telling you right now, half the people on the most recent list were people that are looking at HYT and they got it based off of time and rate. Time and rate. Yeah. Which is fine. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good idea. I wish, I wish E3 to E4 was more of a time and rate. Yeah. Um, I feel like, or um, most or most promotions. Yeah, you definitely see people who have are hitting close to HYT. Uh, they're usually the more mature people. Um, now with you know star programs and you know top of the class stuff, where they they almost give out E four like it's candy. Uh, it's it's pretty difficult on some people, especially people who may be older when they first come in, and they are you know definitely junior uh, junior. And they come in and they see like a 21 or 20 year old E4 who's trying to take charge of them. And especially if that E4 is uh, not up to par with how an E4 should uh, act, talk and walk, then it definitely gets a little rough. So I think it's a good idea for people, you know, never be discouraged if you don't pick up rank right away. You know, the longer you stay in as a junior, uh, the more experience you have going into those somewhat senior ranks in the military. From my experience, the older guys that come in, they usually make rank faster. They yes. have a better head on their shoulders. They understand what's needed to make rank. And they, they don't they had they see through the they see through the bull crap. Yeah, no, they they've definitely had a uh, you know, a little bit more experience in life, so they know how to essentially like play the game. You know, work hard, play hard, but they just they work hard usually all the time. Because those people sometimes have families and stuff they have to think about, so everything's a little bit more real to them. Other than being, you know, 18-year-old fresh in and they're just spending their money, acting however they want, basically. And then expecting them to to get that rank. Okay, so let's go back to you came out of core school, you went to PSI, and you only ended in PSI because you were just waiting for field med, correct? Yeah, I had uh, I had my orders for field med. Mm-hmm. Um, but the time that we had graduated uh, core school, there was like a two-month gap. So yeah, and that's pretty standard now still. Yeah. So I mean, we people people do PSI here as well. It's just part of the game. So you're basically the corpsman for recruits at Marine Depot. Was it what's it called? MCRD Paris Island. Sure. Yeah. So you've only been Greenside. What what's quotations so, here? Greenside. You've only been. Uh, your patient population has only been Marines. Yes. Um, and some Navy. Yes, at the clinic, yes. Here Here at the clinic, clinic, right? So you were at MCRD, and you're basically the same thing as the corpsman over at Great Lakes. Basically, yeah. We were the corpsman, just like the blue side corpsman over at Great Lakes. Um, It it was a weird, like, gray area, because we were in our uh, blue side camis. We were in our normal uh, Navy working uniform, but we would be, like, out in the field and uh, treating Marines, like the recruits, like in our Navy working uniform, so really, so you're you're wearing, you came in with blueberries, right? No, no, I was close to one of the first iterations to get the. Okay, so you the are, I would consider very still new. 
Yes. Uh, yes. There were some people who came through right before me who got the blueberries, but. So, I, yeah. So, like, I'm part of the generation that had blueberries and now we're in NWs. Mm-hmm. And then people, but the generation before me, you know, had whatever was before the yeah. Johnny Cashes and the, the Dunderies. Oh, yeah. the There's always going to be somebody that's like, oh, well, you're newer than yeah, me, right? No, absolutely. It's, it's not, I don't know why people use that as a measuring contest, right? <laughs> uh, it's kind of dumb. But, okay. So, I will, I do, I do uh, consider you new because. You've only been in for five? Yes, five years. Five years in E4. Uh, okay, so f- similar experience. I, w- my first command, I was in blueberries, and I had to do medical coverage for a Navy C school slash Marine Corps MOS school. It was a, it was a, uh, it was a schoolhouse that was integrated, Navy and Marines, because they did the same job. Mm-hmm. But I was on an air station, so the... It was like the ASs, I think. It's AOs? Like, no, 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 ASs. not AOs. It was like ASs. Uh, I may be wrong on that, but it was basically the, the the ground support for aviation community. So Marines have it, Navy has it, but they did MCMAP every afternoon, so they needed a corpsman from the clinic. So they, I got selected as one of those guys, and it was kind of like one of those things, like, hey, I get to actually go do something mm-hmm. besides just seeing patients every day. Yeah. So, and it got you out of work. Which was one of the best parts because you could be like, I have to go uh, do med coverage. You're out out of out of the office. You know, you don't come in till nine ten o'clock, or you you leave at like one or two, which was really nice. But doing med coverage in blueberries is one of the most degrading things in the world. No, it was yeah, absolutely. You're not out in the ocean or at sea, so you blueberries stick out like, like a the sore most, thumb. Blueberries were like the most comfortable uniform, but they're the dumbest looking uniform because it didn't make any sense. Might as well just wear coveralls if we're going to wear blue. Yeah, um, I, f- I feel that even in the new Navy working uh, uniforms, um, we you still stick out like a sore thumb with Marines. Um, we did have medical coverages as well. Um, any evolution that the recruits went on, there was always a corpsman there. So there were uh, corpsmen stationed out at the actual um, regiments that were there, like 1st, 2nd, 3rd, or 4th. And yeah. there was small BASs that were there uh, going for those uh, specific regiments. <laughs> And um, we had to do coverages on weekends. So we would work a Monday to Friday normal time. And uh, where I worked at, our hours were varied, very, very varied. They were either, you know, sometimes we come in at 530 to prep for the day. So I'd be prepping shots, setting up the bloodline, getting our rosters ready. And then depending on how long we took, you know, we had probably had a couple platoons that we had to, you know, either immunize or, um, do blood draws on. So it was really how fast we could work. And then on top of that, still had to document everything inside their record. But yeah, our, our, um, coverages were usually on the weekend on Saturday. So you'd work Monday to Friday and expecting the weekend off. And then you'd be right back in five o'clock on Saturday. And we'd uh, wait inside the clinic and the Marines would come by, the DIs would come by and they'd be like, hey, I'm here for um, this platoon. Who's the corpsman? And then you'd just raise your hand. Like, oh, that's me. Like, all right, let's go. And then you find out, you know, you're on a 15K hike. So 5.30, 5 o'clock oh, in the so morning. so you're coming into work not knowing what your day is. Yeah. Uh, usually you don't know until you get there, like, what coverage you're going to be doing. Uh, especially if you just get, you know, um, called in the day prior. Like, hey, somebody dropped out. Like, they need a new corpsman. You might not have any idea, but if you worked in a clinic and you work with people who make the schedules, then sometimes you get like a little insight, like, oh, what am I going to be doing today? So 
Um, they ended up did ironing that out later on, like close to when I was about to leave, where they'd actually drop the duty roster along with um, what evolution you're going to be going through. Because there are people who would come in like me, you know, sometimes they come in and they'd be like, oh, 15K hike. And you're like, oh, man, I did not hydrate. And as a corpsman there, they look to you as like how they would look to you to a corpsman here. Like you, you are expected to rock. Like you're not going to be sitting in the Vic or anything. Like you're going to be setting a good uh, example for the recruits on the island, showing that this is what corpsmen do. You ruck with them. You take care of them whenever they stop for a rest. Even though you've been walking, you do feed checks or you go around asking if everybody's okay, hand out fruit and food, and then you get back on your feet and you keep rocking. So, it's Interesting. So were you doing the weekend duty because the organic staff does Monday through Friday? Yes. Um, organic staff at the clinic did Monday through Friday at the clinic, and then we would be dished out for the weekend for... So they just didn't want to do weekends, and you were goaded to do weekend duty? Yeah, goaded. There, that's the word I was looking for. So yeah, um, we would get goaded every now and then. Like I said, if somebody dropped out of like, you know, say they had some family emergency, but um, it was our duty at the clinic to staff the weekend evolutions that went on because it would give the the people that worked at the BASs for the companies um, like a day or two off because sometimes they would be going on crucible evolutions as well where they're out in the field, you know, Friday to Monday or Friday to Tuesday. They're out there the entire time with the recruits as well. So it was just giving them a little break essentially. And, uh, but it was only ever Saturday. I'd be pretty upset if I came in on Saturday F05 and then got told I'm going to do whatever mileage hike because maybe Friday was my leg day, you know, yeah. <laughs> or maybe I did a 10 K run Friday, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to recover on Saturday, you know what I'm saying? But I mean, like, obviously if I knew I was going to, I didn't know what was going to happen on Saturday, I wouldn't do anything on Friday. I'd be yeah. well rested. Yeah, but that kind of sucks work. because That's what it. if you rested all day Friday and then you didn't do anything on Saturday and you just took two days of rest when you didn't have to. Yeah, it, it was pretty rough. Um, like I said, we do those hikes, and at the end of your hike, um, you do you know, your last little check on the recruits, make sure everybody's good, and then you'd head back to the clinic, and then you'd stand clinic duty as well. So sometimes you wouldn't get out of there until around 14, 15, um, and then all those recruits who just told you that they were good on the hike, you see them stumbling into sick call to get their feet checked out or something. Because they didn't want to drop out. Yeah, they didn't want to drop out. It's it's pretty common to see. Um even they're not gonna, they're not gonna their ego is too high yeah even just as being a recruit there for them their ego is it gets up there like we saw some pretty gnarly cases of people who didn't want to come in and get seen like uh, sam fleas is pretty bad and they'd hide uh you know they got underneath their uniform sam fleas are awful it was it was rough being there the kid had scratched up his legs really bad didn't want to tell the corpsman or his di's and uh he ended up getting infected and he had a little a little case of cellulitis on his legs. And it, it was pretty gnarly because even walking into the clinic, you could see him scratching on top of his uniform, trying to scratch his legs. Uh, and he was bitten up really bad. So so tell me about the patient care. You got to, what what was the typical st- kind of stuff you'd see or what kind of skills did you, did you obtain while doing uh, MCRD type duty? Yeah, um... So other than me doing my normal duties, I didn't really stand a lot of sit call unless it was on the weekends or if um, they needed help. Because like I said, I worked in the medical readiness department. So 
we were on the opposite side of the clinic from them, but every now and then we would go over there. And then especially on the weekends, you had to stay on clinic duty. Um, so a lot you of the did stuff, do sick call. Yes, yes. Some we did sort, do sick call. but your main responsibility in the clinic was readiness. Yeah, recruit so medical readiness. We're talking about shots. Shots, a lot of shots, a lot of blood draws. A lot of shot X's, blood yes. draws. And what else did you do? Um, really, that, that sums it up. Like Those are the two good. things? Yeah, it sounds come extremely in and get light. Or you come yeah. in and get blood drawn? It sounds really light whenever like somebody who hasn't actually gone through I'm not saying it's light. That. I understand there's thousands of Marines coming through your clinic. Yeah, it, it is a rough time trying to keep track of everybody. And then on top of that, having to stand there all day in a shot line, it, as, as rough as, as it sounds like it actually is, it's just each recruit that would come through the line, they had like a little shot card that they held up at their chest height that had what shot they need on it, and then it would be highlighted with a specific color. And if I remember correctly, like Hep A was orange, Hep B was purple, uh, varicella was green, MMR or measles, mumps, rubella was yellow. And then if that was highlighted with that color, then we gave them that shot. So you're color coding it. Yes, we would color code it with their name. I, I don't like that kind of work. I when I had a when I went TAD to do, immunize the whole meth for COVID. It was nothing but drawing mm. COVID shots. Yeah, it gets and then giving boring. COVID shots. Okay, so uh, you left there and you came. So you've you've only been at two duty stations, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, you're five years in. So now you're at an MLG labeled as Greenside Sea Duty, right? Yes. So you did your typical shore tour, two mm-hmm. years, and now you're at a three-year sea tour, and then you're going to go to another three-year shore tour if you re-enlist, right? Yeah, no, I, I do plan on re-enlisting too. It's definitely a uh, military or the Navy, I should say, has been nothing but kind. Uh, it takes a lot of self-reflection to Give be able to Give it some time. It'll get you somewhere. Uh, it's just the nature of the beast and it's not personal. Yeah. But somehow, some way something's going to happen where you don't get your way. I, I, I mean, I'm, I've been in the same shoes as you. Mm-hmm. I've got everything I've wanted. I never had needs of the Navy orders. I never had. That's how I ended up here. A actually. crappy deployment out of nowhere. I, I've, I've gotten to go on training stuff that I've wanted to do. I've gotten to be able to go to college. Like it's been all nice so far. Mm-hmm. Right. But at, you're just some waiting, point, though. at some point, you're going to get your knees chopped, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's I got needs in the Navy, actually. That's how I ended up here, uh, MLG side. Um, as a younger corpsman coming from a shore command, I was looking for something a little bit higher tempo. Uh, me and a couple of my friends had actually put in all division orders. Like yeah. Every single cycle I put in for division orders. Um, I, I deviated one time. Uh, I put in for Riveron. And um, on my last pick, I put in for SOI as like a last case, last resort. And um, everything got voided. I ended up getting passed up and I ended up here. Um, But like I said, it is, I came in here with a negative mindset, but uh, I have a little over a year left or right at a year left here. And I can say that I've accomplished uh, a pretty decent amount, Um, not just from, you know, being able to have done humanitarian aid here. Uh, in MLG side, but just some of the things that I've accomplished, like um, getting out of the clinic, essentially, we had to go to a clinic, do like an eight month rotation. As soon as I got out of there, like it just expanded, like my whole world opened up again. Um, so did you like the clinic? 
It, but okay, so that's like the first it's like real, Stockholm syndrome. Like it's the first real clinic you've been in, right? It, for, with day round, like all day, being, seeing patients, seeing patients. Yes, it wasn't terrible. Do you think you had the skills from the skills you learned at MCRD, doing medical readiness, some sick call, some field care? Do you think that set you up just fine to do sick call in a pretty mundane clinic? One hundred percent. Yes, like okay. it was. Some of the stuff that you learn at your first command, as long as it's a short command and you actually pay attention, um, you can apply that really well whenever you get to like a C command. So yeah. Okay, and then after after you left the clinic, then yeah, after because I, you went to the clinic after you did your humanitarian TAD. Yes, like right, like I said, two months I was stagnant for, and right after that, um, picked up rank, and I went to the clinic and. My last uh, month at the clinic, uh, my chain of command approached me and asked me if I'd like to sign up for HMTT. That was a really big push uh, here on Greenside. And I was I thought, you know, obviously, why not? I'm hungry for training. It always should be. Yeah. So as soon as I had um, that week after I gotten out of the clinic, I went out into the field with um, a CLB and one of the EOD companies here. Um, really good experience. Um, we went out, did EOD lanes, and then really just did like a workup for a deployment. Uh, right after that, I ended up going out to HMTT in Raleigh, North Carolina, and it was a phenomenal experience. Probably one of the best schools that you can go to as a corpsman in the Navy right now. So, I, yeah, so I've sent corpsmen at my last command to HMTT when it first started, and then we've sent plenty of corpsmen. Our command's hungry to send corpsmen. Our, our command sends plenty of people every cycle because HMTT is uh, numerous times a year. And hands down, I think it's the best training a corpsman is going to get. Because what have we been doing for the last 10 years? Not combat. Yeah, not combat right, right? now. So what, what trauma has... If you're a corpsman that hasn't been division or in the ER, you probably haven't seen too much crazy trauma, right? Mm-hmm. So what better way to set you up for when a war does happen is HMTT. Because where we're at, we don't have a lot of trauma. No. But where HMTT is, you know, it has a, you know, there's like different locations where there are bigger cities and... Civilian as well. Civilian. Not military, there's so. not military stuff. And it's gunshot wounds, uh, motor vehicle accidents. Stabbings. Stabbings. Everything in the world. Yeah. And you're going to see stuff First that hand. you may see in a combat scenario. Mm -hmm. So for anybody listening, that's, uh, I would say E5 and below. It hasn't been HMTT. That should be the only training. That should be like the number one training that you try to go to. It should be a priority. It should be a priority. Mm -hmm. How, how cool would it be if, if you, if you sign an HM contract, your, your tour would look like this. You go to boot camp, you go to a school, you go to field med, you go to HMTT, you go to some type of, Whatever uh, specialty is not specialty yet. No, I'm talking about is it SOA East, some some type of actual division uh, field. No, what I'm trying to say, some type of. I think I know what you're trying to talk about. What do they What do they send people? MCT. In? Yes. Okay. Field med, MCT, any specialty that you had, and then go to your first command. So maybe your pipeline's like two years long, mm-hmm. but how? trained you'd be uh, 
way better equipped to deal with what you know you could possibly see, or even just at clinics or hospitals. You'd yeah, be because a lot better field med would set you up to understand how the Marine Corps works. Small unit leadership, yes. HMTT would show you actual trauma, the realities. MCT would integrate you with Marine mm-hmm. Corps personnel, mm-hmm. so you actually understand how they operate, and then you could, if you have a tech lined up, you go to tech school or you go to your first command, you would be a phenomenal corpsman skills wise. And that's what we need, right? Yeah, no, you, um, as you know, I went to HMTT in August of last year and, um, definitely opened up my eyes. It was, uh, kind of a make or break. Uh, I'd been in at that point for around, I think right at four years Yeah, four years, and I had not truly seen a trauma yet. And, you know, I'm more than comfortable with, uh, you know, owning up to that. Like I hadn't been in a place where I could see traumas. So signing up for that was getting out of my comfort zone because I knew what I was going to be up against there, like what I was going to be seeing. But like I said, I'm very hungry when it comes to training. Like, you know, you want to get all the training and you can. And going there, your first two weeks are didactic training. Uh, they teach you or really test you on just to make sure you go like BLS, um, putting in urinary catheters, NG, OG tubes. Just fundamental yeah, corpsman skills, being, really. Basically being the fundamentals of a corpsman. And uh, right after that, they just you just get shoved into trauma shifts. Um, so you worked in the you worked in the trauma bay. Um, you also worked in the ICU. So we worked in the STICU, um, which is just a surgical ICU, and then we worked in the neuro ICU as well. Um, really good stuff that went on up there. Um, and those were the three places. And you actually had one OR day as well. So you got to sit in on one surgery. Um, and then depending on your trauma bay rotations, if your patient in the trauma bay had had have, a, have an emergency surgery, then uh, you could go up there and see that. And I got the luxury of doing that um, a couple times. Um, our OR day was pretty good. The trauma bay, though, was impressive. Like it's it's impressive to see, like apply all the knowledge that you learn as a backdrop for whenever you're in that trauma bay. Cause it gets really loud in there. Um, there's a AC in there that, that just blows heat the entire time to try to keep the patient warm. And, you know, usually you're around the bed with around seven to eight people. You got one at the head, sometimes two at the head, uh, two on each side of the body, maybe two at the feet. And then you have the, um, the nurse who's trying to document everything on the computer like a mile away. So you have to scream everything that you're doing. Um, it, it was, it was really good though. saw a r- lot of really good traumas, um, really, really good traumas, like from motor vehicle accidents to gunshot wounds. Um, gunshot wounds were pretty prevalent there as well as stabbings. And um, also one, a small thing that not a lot of people think about, but falls. We saw a lot of uh, elderly people fall. That's like the bulk volume you're going to see in a trauma. And then uh, now before you, that last bit you spoke on, yeah, you're hungry, but it, you can't change anything because you joined right after, right after high school. Mm-hmm. So you can't, it's not your fault that there's no war going on. There's no combat. There's no like quotation, you know, conflict, conflict or true Corman experience. Yeah. Right. Uh, because you're just, you're, you didn't, you weren't born in the right time frame, right? Okay. So it, it will come at one, it probably will come at some, mm-hmm. in some day, right? Uh, but you're doing the right things, uh, which is really good. And 
I want to speak more about this HMTT. So walk me through a few patients that you, you get to see on a regular basis. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I vaguely remember one of my first traumas. Uh, we were in uh, teams of two. Those would kind of be like our battle buddies for the entire time we were there. And uh, me and my buddy, we were on shift. Uh, we got mornings as our, it was half split up. So half of the school there would be in morning, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And then you'd flip flop to 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Um, actually, blame my last. Yeah, we were actually on nights the first time. So we were on at seven at night to seven in the morning. And uh, it's like the old saying goes, um, nothing really good happens after midnight. Um, it was midnight when we got our first trauma. Uh, they called it over to intercom, uh, trauma one inbound, five minutes. And that was our cue. We Your were taking first care. trauma was a level one? Yes. Well, yes. So it'd be a trauma one or a trauma alert. Trauma one is one of the more serious ones. And then trauma alert is something that is not as serious, but could possibly lead to a trauma Become one. Become a trauma one. Yeah. So uh, we were actually in the ER just uh, helping out wherever we can, you know, just asking the nurses, hey, do you need a hand here? Blood draws here. Um, changing IV bags, stuff like that. And then that was our cue to get into a trauma bay and get scrubbed up really quick. And it's not like a like you're scrubbing up for surgery. This is like, you know, we're putting on little white boots so that way we don't get blood all over us. You're putting on a gown to keep your hair out of the way. And then, you you know, you don your gown. And we had a little, uh, it was it was really funny. We loved this. Uh, you had a little sticker that you put on your chest and it just says Navy Corpsman on it. So that way all the nurses and everybody there knew that you were a Navy Corpsman in training there rather than like, uh, I'm one of the trauma nurses or something. Um, and we worked side by side with the trauma nurse that was there though. So it was, uh, we'd take turns. So it'd be like me first and then my buddy would go the next time and I'd stand back and watch or get in wherever I could. And if they need extra hands, depending on how brutal it was. But yeah, uh, he rolled in and then the EMT, the head EMT or the paramedic gave us a spiel. Uh, it was a mid twenties, early thirties, um, adult male who'd gotten shot and, um, uh, lower left hand side of his back in the small of his back. Uh, the bullet had, which we found out whenever we did a fast exam and everything, uh, the bullet actually ricocheted. So it went in his lower left, uh, came up, punctured his esophagus, uh, bounced off of between two ribs on his right hand side, and then ended up behind his scapula on his right shoulder. So a pretty, um, pretty unique wound track, I'd say, because we didn't find an exit wound. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. It, it, very unique wound track. Um, something that you're not really foreseeing. People sometimes see bullets, you know, in on the lower left-hand side, you'd expect it to come out the front and the left. But, you know, there's been cases where you got shot in the, you know, in the back or in the chest and like the bullet wouldn't, you know, maybe exit out of your knee or your leg somewhere. Like it'd have like weird tracks. Uh, but yeah, um, he was pronounced dead on the scene. Uh, EMTs did um, CPR, they resuscitation in the back of the vehicle, they lost it twice. And then whenever they rolled in, he was dead, flatlined, not clinically dead, but he was flatlined. Um, my buddy actually was doing CPR on him and I was like helping get him undressed. So I was trauma sharing his pants off. Um, and while he's doing CPR, the two uh, trauma nurses beside us at the same time were doing bilateral uh, chest tubes. So they put two chest tubes in while he was actually doing CPR. And uh, he was doing extremely good CPR. Uh, he got resuscitation back. 
probably within a minute, if even that, like it was really quick. By the time he'd put hands on to get resuscitation, it was really quick. Um, but yeah, a uh, guy ended up living. We got him. We finished everything there. Got him uh, CT scanned, found what we needed to. And then he went to surgery in the ICU. And it was pretty cool. Um, our shifts in the ICU, we would see him and he would recognize both of us. So he, like whenever he was in CT or whenever he was gaining like momentary moments of uh, consciousness, yeah. he, he saw and he knew who we were. Uh, he would like shake our hands and he couldn't talk because he was intubated, but like, you know, he was crying the entire time. Uh, but he definitely knew who we were. It, it was pretty cool to see. And then we were there long enough to actually see him uh, get uh, taken out of the hospital. He actually got taken out of the ICU and he lived. That's a very positive story because usually it doesn't go that way. Oh, no. Yeah. Usually there it goes the other of, way. Yeah. There was a lot of, of so that, rougher ones. Was that, was that experience where you had your first patient who dies in, in HMTT? Um, no, I, so seeing, uh, not everybody there had seen death. Um, that was my first patient who had died was the first who I'd seen truly dead. Um, my first patient sometime at night again, um, yet again, probably at early twenties, maybe very early thirties. If even, uh, I'd still say basically a kid, um, we've gotten a trauma one alert over the intercom and we raced in there and they said it's supposed to be 10 minutes and we got to trauma base rubbed up and you know, we're sitting there coking and joking with uh, the civilian nurses and everything. We realized it had been past 10 minutes and uh, they get a hold of the EMS and EMS is <laughs> stuck in traffic in Raleigh. Who would have thought? Mm. So it took him a little bit longer to get there. It took him about, uh, I'd say about 20, 30 minutes to get there. And we had no idea what we were dealing with before they rolled in. Uh, probably up to like five minutes before they rolled in. Uh, we had an idea what it was. Uh, and it was a GSW to the head. And rolled in. Uh, paramedic, they weren't really doing anything for him. The guy was laying on the stretcher. He had two rags wrapped around his head. Uh, still somewhat fully clothed. Uh, paramedic had said that they weren't able to get any IVs in on him. Uh, his blood pressure was weak. Uh, which we got it. It was around like, it was 50 over 30. Really weak. Uh, he was cyanotic. He was blue. I couldn't get an IV in on him. Uh, I put the chest leads in on him. Couldn't get an IV. And that's when they had told me to take the rags off from around his head. So that way we can get like a full body picture of what's going on here. And uh, yeah, I took the rags off of his head. And that's when I saw basically an open cavity with his brain. So um, I was at the front of his head now. Uh, I took the two rags off and then I was lifting up his head to take him out from the back of his head. And... Yeah, essentially, he just had a, a small entrance wound on the left-hand side of his of his head and a big blowout on the right-hand side. Uh, pretty tough to see. Um, there's a lot of things that you can get prepared for, but seeing that probably wasn't something that you can be prepared for until you see it. Um, and, and, I, and I asked... I ask about a patient dying in, in all seriousness because it's a very serious thing. No, it is. And I, and I ask that because... Uh, there, the, many corpsmen are not going to see that. No. And if when if a, if a day comes where they do see it, I, I want them to understand that it, it's, it's a reality. It's a reality. It it can be very traumatizing if it's something you haven't dealt with before. Yeah. And I hope that this conversation we're having can kind of shed some light on the thoughts and feelings that you have when you see that kind of stuff for the first time. 
for me, the, I, I had a similar story. A guy came in and it was the first time I had a, you know, I had a patient who didn't live. Right. And he came in and he was a motor vehicle accident. They brought him in. He had a crack in his head. He was intubated. They were doing CPR. They were bagging him on the stretcher as they're coming in. It was obviously a level one. Yeah. Our job in the trauma bay was set the leads, get the IVs and make sure the vials are running continuous and get a, and a manual blood pressure. Same. Yeah. And then if they said chest two, if they, if they said, we're going to do whatever you prep the equipment, you get everything ready. You're basically the assistant. That's yes. what the corpsman's role is in trauma bay. I'm going to assume it's the same thing. And in the HMTT. Yes. But because you guys see more trauma often, you probably get to do a little bit more, maybe. And if they're comfortable with you. If they're comfortable with you. Yes. And, the, and it's the same thing everywhere you work. If they're comfortable with you, you get to have more hands-on. Yes. So we did, we did everything we needed to do. Uh, we took over CPR. Um, yeah, so we did our thing. We did a few cycles. We did a you know fast exam. And then we, you know, we pronounced the guy, the guy dead, you know. Mm-hmm. And then for us, we had to do the uh, deceased care. And for me, that was my first time I ever had to do that. And I'm not going to lie. I got I got flushed. Ears started ringing. I was like, hey, this is, this is a lot even for – just because someone's been in for nine years doesn't mean they've seen that. No, absolutely. You may have a brand-new corpsman who has seen more stuff than someone who's been in for a while. Yeah. And no one should ever try to fake it because something like that can really mess somebody up. But full circle, that's why I think HMTT is probably the best thing in the world. Because if you're not in the ER or not in a trauma center ER, you're not going to get to see all that kind of stuff that often. Yeah. And it's good to get it. It's good to have that experience. Yeah. No, if you're a quad zero, um, there should be no other place to go to other than HMTT right now. And for training, like HMTT or trying to get into an ER moonlighting with, uh, you know, your local hospital or even with the EMTs, like it, it should be something that you do to get in as much experience as possible. Because like you said, just, you never know. It doesn't, pre- it doesn't just prep you on hands-on skills, which are very important. Mm-hmm. Because if someone is coming in that's trying, that they, they may die on you. You can't be sitting there psyching yourself out trying to do an IV. No. Because you've never seen this before. Yes. So it's, it helps you out with fundamental skills because you get to do you have to do so much stuff. And j- even though you're just an, an assistant with equipment and vitals and all that stuff, you have to know exactly how a chest tube works. You have to know how the blood transfusion transfusion works. You have to know how what happens when you have to do a mass transfusion or how a ventilator works, how to set it up. And all, there's all kinds of stuff. There that, is a lot that goes into a regular trauma in a any, hospital setting. In every trauma, because it all you have to do everything the same thing, same way mm-hmm. every, every single, single time. time. Because if you deviate at all, you may you may end up not saving the patient. Mm-hmm. But it also, HMTT or an ER experience, also helps you out with the psychology of patient care. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, I, my my main intent is just try to get as much experience as you can, and you specifically. I, I think you're doing a wonderful job, and yeah. So what what are you trying to do after here? You got to go to a short command, I, I assume. Uh, I'm trying to stay greenside, so I'm 
believe I'm going to put in some paperwork, try to study green sign. Trying to um, do back-to-back C? Yes, back-to-back C duties. To go division? Yes, either division or uh, I've been thinking a lot about maybe EOD. Yeah, well, okay. So, uh, I mean, whatever you're trying to do, I'm sure your paperwork's going to come across my desk at some point soon. More than likely, yeah. And my name will be up there, and hopefully you uh, approve okay, that. If everything's right. <laughs> I don't I don't approve or disapprove. I just wrap stuff up. Uh, the, the big man gets to say yeah or nay. All right, uh... I think we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, I appreciate your time coming on this podcast and maybe you come on in a later time. Uh, any last words? Oh, yeah, no, uh, thanks for having me. Um, always willing to spread knowledge. Uh, but yeah, just thanks for having me and I'd look forward to seeing you again. Sweet. Peace out.